Welcome once again to Inside Maine. This is Angus King, and today we're talking about Inside the World. I'm going to be talking with Representative Mike Gallagher, a Marine veteran and a member of the House of Representatives from Green Bay, Wisconsin, who was my co-chair of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. We've been working together for two or three years now uh, on the issue of cyber. And then we're going to be joined a little bit later by Admiral Jim Stravitas, who's a former dean at uh, uh, Tuck, uh, at uh, uh, Tufts University and uh, is, doing, is, is one of the world's leading experts on foreign policy. The subject today is China. Mike Gallagher, you've thought a lot and worked on foreign policy for years. What does China want? What is it that they're looking for, and how do we avoid uh, getting into what now feels like almost an inevitable conflict? First of all, thanks for having me again, Angus, and thanks for all your leadership in this space, you know, particularly when it comes to China or any number of moments during the work of our commission where you were, you were the most forceful proponent for enhancing our deterrent posture with respect to China. As I look at it, I, I think they want at least two things. In the short term or the near term, uh, they would like to displace us from our position in the Indo-Pacific, which would include effectuating the unification of Taiwan with the mainland. Um, this is a legacy issue for Xi Jinping. And I think as they look at the world and they look at you know, maybe the, the division within the United States domestically, uh, they see opportunity over the next decade to do something that may uh, something that some may think is even as extreme as that. Um, so, you know, your next guest wrote a book, a fictional scenario called 2034. I actually think our timeline needs to be more like 2025 for preventing that from happening. Uh, the second thing I'd say is a more, a longer term and in some ways more pernicious threat. I think they want to prove that their model uh, is superior to ours. And Xi Jinping and his cronies have studied the fall of the Soviet Union and the Communist Party in the Soviet Union uh, and, and learned lessons from it. And I think by proving that their model can be successful, they can simultaneously discredit our model uh, and the free world in the process. So those are kind of the two things I think uh, they're, they're, uh, they're shooting for. And I think it's increasingly unlikely that we can arrive at, at a sort of friendly compromise uh, in, in the near term. There is going to be competition but if we compete the right way, I think we can avoid outright conflict. Well, of course, one of the realities that's occurred just in the last maybe five or six years is a drastic upscaling of their military. Uh, they're building ships uh, hand over fist, uh, carriers, uh, a huge expansion of their nuclear capability, uh, and and they just uh, they're intent on achieving. Uh, and this hasn't been true of, of them in the past. They've They've been much more focused inwardly uh, and haven't really had this. The, the People's Liberation Army is now uh, an enormously more effective instrument of national power than it was uh, just a few years ago. So clearly they're thinking about uh, physical military power, particularly in, in the region. And I think that their neighbors are getting nervous. Absolutely. They're really developing the ability to project power well beyond their near abroad. And then if you combine that with what they're doing economically with the Belt and Road Initiative, they're growing their influence internationally at an astounding pace. Um, 
all the more reason why I think we need a sense of urgency, urgency in terms of what we're doing with our own military. I think we have an opportunity to start getting creative, but if you just look at a map of the Indo-Pacific, one thing that jumps out is that there's a lot of water. And so almost inevitably, you're going to have to prioritize growing the, the size and the capability of the United States Navy if you want to effectively deter China. And I'm afraid we're not doing that right now. Uh, and then we've had a series of tragic naval accidents in recent years that has taken a dramatic toll on our force. And so it's a very troubling development. The, the uh, balance of, of power is not going in the right direction in the region. Uh, luckily, however, uh, we do have a network of allies and partners that bring enormous advantages to the fight. And that's really, I think, our asymmetric advantage against China is they don't have the same network of allies and partners, nor are they trying to develop allies and partners in the same way we are. No, I, I, I was at a uh, defense conference in Singapore a couple of years ago and had the occasion to have one-on-one -on -one meetings with the defense ministers of probably a dozen uh, regional nations, you know, like the Philippines and and Japan and South Korea and, you know, and, and many others. And I came away with a, with a sort of one-sentence conclusion. We have allies. China has customers. Uh, they... They, they don't have allies. On the other hand, I have to say, and I've been brief recently on, on South Korea, their economic uh, power is, uh, is just as important as the, as the military, particularly with their neighbors. It, it's very hard for a country that's in the region that is very dependent upon the Chinese market to resist uh, Chinese encroachments. And the same thing goes, I mean, I think a lot of Americans aren't aware the Chinese are incredibly engaged now in South America and Africa, uh, financing projects, building bases, uh, and, I, and then they, they finance things. I call it debt colonialism. They're using the, the debt to sort of get a foothold in these countries. It's, uh, they're, it's hard to overstate the, the extent of their, I, I would have to call it expansionism. Well, and, and this is, of course, what makes this, what I would refer to as a, a new Cold War, much more difficult and complex than the old Cold War. Uh, we never really had to contemplate some form of selective financial and economic decoupling from the Soviet Union because our economies didn't really interact. But we really, we made, with China, in contrast, we made a bet uh, in two, starting in 2001 and intensifying in bipartisan fashion ever since that by integrating them into the global economy, it would moderate their behavior. There was a logic to that. The only problem is it didn't work out. And so now we find ourselves dangerously dependent upon uh, the Chinese for the manufacturing of, of basic devices, uh, critical goods. This was one of the biggest things we learned during the pandemic. And that's going to be a very difficult process, disentangling ourselves economically so that they don't have that, that, that economic coercive instrument that they can use against us and our allies. That to me is perhaps the hardest part of this competition. Stay with us. We're going to keep talking about the challenge of China. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, this is Angus King. Welcome back to Inside Maine. The subject is China, a perfect example where there's no free lunch. In one of the committees that I sit on, we've been talking about critical minerals, which are necessary for things like batteries. And everybody's for batteries, everybody's for storage, everybody's for 
electrification of automobiles. But a lot of the materials that go into those batteries come from other places, principally China. If we want to replace that, we're going to have to get back into the hard rock mining business, which has environmental costs. And, you know, people don't like mining. But uh, that's what I mean about, you know, there's no free lunch here. And and uh, I think disentangling the term you've used several times is exactly exactly right. But it's it's not going to be all that easy. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come with uh, significant costs, right? I mean, uh, manufacturing is cheaper in China than it is to do domestically here in the United States, in part because we have higher standards for for labor and for environment. Um, but uh, I do think there are going to be certain areas, you know, semiconductors, rare earths, uh, energetics, where we basically determine for national security reasons that we have to spend some money to onshore. Or nearshore. And I think that's a critical point. I mean, you know, on balance, yes, I want more things made in America, specifically Wisconsin and Maine. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm, I think we need to think about sort of um, nearshore. How do we, how do we, instead of buy America, uh, buy free world, work really in partnership with our allies and partners to shore up our supply chains and, and build resiliency uh, collectively uh, with our partners and allies, not just sort of descend into autarky where we think we're going to naively make everything here in America. Because that's just not the way the global economy works. Well, well I have, a, I have a, a bit of a developing theory I want to try on you, that uh, the Chinese may screw this up by trying to re-centralize their economy. The reason their economy exploded was the liberalization and the allowance of private enterprise and businesses to to grow and, and develop uh, over, you know, from 2000 to, say, 2015. Now they're trying to reassert government control, and, and, and I think they may, uh, they may kill the golden goose by, uh, you know, sort of going back to Soviet central planning, which ultimately doesn't work. Yeah, look what's happening with... Um Chinese technology companies on Wall Street right now. I, I think it's having, you know, both what happened uh, with Jack Ma, Alibaba, and Ant Group, and then most recently what happened with the Chinese Communist Party basically screwing up uh, Didi's IPO in the United States. You know, I think it's, ha- it's having the effect of waking up a lot of investors in the United States who otherwise would want to pump more money into China because that's where they're getting big returns to the fact that, wow, this is this is a huge risk, right? What is the risk of having a Chinese Communist Party official inserted into the corporate governance structure of a major technology company? What is the risk of a potential confrontation over Taiwan? And I do think it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt them. Um, however, I wonder, if, you know, if they're doing this, you know, they're not stupid. They, they may have concluded that they just don't need access to as much American capital as they did in the past. Um, I, I don't know, uh, but it's, we're in a very interesting phase of this competition right now. Well, b- before I let you go, and I know you've got to go and, and vote in, in a few minutes, but uh, you used the word several times early in our conversation, deter. And a lot of questions I get, and I'm sure you get them in Wisconsin, is why are we spending so much money on defense? We're not fighting a war. Why are we building ships and all of these things? And, and what, uh, to me, the, the reason is the whole idea is deterrence, that, that the yeah. Chinese or the Russians or whoever wants to pick a fight with us has to realize that, uh, that there's gonna, they'll have a real fight on their hands and uh, they won't win. And the, so the best, 
to me, the best conflict is the one that doesn't happen. Of course, it's impossible to prove a negative, but uh, uh, deterrence is a is is at the heart of American foreign policy and and military policy. But it requires that we we keep being prepared. The the only way I I once likened the Russians to a, a hotel thief, where they go down the hall of the hotel and try all the doors until they find one that's open. Well, we got to be sure we keep those doors locked and that they know they're going to pay a price uh, if they try to push through. So uh, I, I, I think we, 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 the American people uh, have to realize that even though we're not in a direct conflict right now, the best way to keep that from happening is to uh, be sure our adversaries or potential adversaries uh, know that we have the capacity to, to hurt them. I agree 100 percent. It reminds me, Eisenhower would always, you know, had this phrase he repeated often, which is that the only way to win World War III is to prevent it. And that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to prevent World War III. We're certainly trying to prevent escalation to the nuclear level. And so it is going to be, uh, it's going to cost money. It's going to be very difficult, but it is far less costly than getting dragged into a massive conflict on someone else's terms. And so deterrence is the name of the game. And it is, as you say, at the core, at the heart of American foreign policy. Well, this is a tricky situation, as you said, with China, because they're, they're growing. They obviously have ambitions. Uh, and as you know, throughout history, when you have a rising power confronting an established power, uh, literally nine times out of ten it ends up with war. So the challenge for us is to uh, work through this, this current circumstance and try to avoid uh, competition turning into conflict. Amen. And it's a good thing we have the good people of Maine and Wisconsin up to that task. <laughs> I, I hope so. Well, Mike, I want to thank you. We didn't. We managed to get through this whole conversation without talking about cyber, uh, which is something that we've we've certainly been doing on a regular basis. I don't know if you noticed, but our next Cyber Solarium meeting will be the 45th meeting that we've had. Wow. Uh, so uh, if. Uh, if, if we had only known, but no, it's been a very valuable experience, and we're going to keep at it. Mike Gallagher, Congressman from Green Bay, Wisconsin, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Senator. Stay with us. We're going to keep talking about the challenge of China. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to Inside Maine. We're talking about the subject of China. It's an important challenge for all of America. And my guest now is retired Admiral Jim Stravitas, who was the dean at the Fletcher School at Tufts University. He's now doing consulting, and he's the chair of the board of the Rockefeller Foundation. Admiral Stravitas, you've thought a lot about China, and I'll ask a, a really hard question to begin. Can we avoid conflict with China? I think we can. I just uh, wrote a book called 2034, a novel of the next world war. It's set in the year 2034, and it depicts what a war with China would look like. I wrote it as a cautionary tale with the hope that people would read it and say, boy, that's not where we want to end up. How do we reverse engineer ourselves back to the present and avoid a war with China? So I think we still have time although it is fair to say we are on something of a collision course. I have this image in my mind of two heavily armed blind giants 
stumbling toward a fight that neither of them really wants and neither can really win, and yet there's a sense of inevitability about it. And of course, you know about the Thucydides trap and the, the propensity of a rising power and an established power to get into a war. Do we need more contact? Do we need more summits between Xi Jinping and Joe Biden? If, if you were the president today, how would you structure uh, uh, how to deal with China? Well, I think your image is spot on. And historically, I'd compare it to the years before World War One, where uh, the nations of Europe had economies that were completely intertwined the way ours is today with China. Uh, yet they managed to stumble into a war that literally put out the lights in Europe. So if I were advising the president today, I would say, Mr. President, what we need is a comprehensive strategy to avoid a war with China that does not cede leadership of the entire world to China. So how do you do that? Uh, Senator, I would say you're on the Solarium Commission. I think there is some uh, power in that model of getting together the very smartest people on China. And here I, I don't just mean political actors, but I mean diplomats, military figures, scientists, academics, historians, convene a group that would give us a strategy for dealing with China, much as your commission, which, by the way, I think is excellent, Solarium, has given us a very intelligent, clear, and forward-looking strategy for dealing with the challenges of cyber. So what that strategy would look like, I would say, is uh, a comprehensive approach that includes a military component. We need to be able to deter China with a strong military. It would have a diplomatic component that would consolidate our Asian allies, bring NATO into confronting China, and above all, pull India toward us, diplomatic. Yep. Thirdly, it would have a cultural component that moves our values, which I think are the right values, but we have to compete in that global marketplace. And fourth and finally, I think it would have a significant economic component, which would say, look, we've got to have fair trade. You can't uh, restrict our companies in China while demanding full access to our markets. So we need a comprehensive strategy. I'd bring uh, the experts together to develop it. That's a great outline. And let me jump on one, one point that you made, because I think it's a consistent weakness in American foreign policy, going back to my youth and thinking about Vietnam and then the Middle East, we generally are very poor at understanding other countries' cultures and histories. And we tend to think that everybody thinks like us, and, and they don't necessarily. And I'll tell you a quick story. I, I met a fellow who was about my age, and uh, I, you know, typically you say, where are you from? He said, well, I was born in Japan, and I did the math and figured, okay, this was like 1946. I said, he was American. I said, how did you happen to be born in Japan? My father, he said, was a professor of Japanese culture and history at something, I can't remember, Michigan State. And MacArthur hired him to help him draft the Japanese constitution during occupation to be sure that it was consistent with Japanese history and culture. I think that's genius, and I don't think we do that enough. Yeah. Nobody in this country knows about 100 years of humiliation, which is the way the Chinese view the world. They have a chip yes, on their shoulder. They do. And I'll give you two examples which will be familiar to pretty much any American. One would be Vietnam, 
we stumbled into that one and and never really developed the understanding of the the history, the determination, the resilience of the North Vietnamese and their revolutionary movements. And in real time, Senator, here in a month, we're going to walk away after 20 years in Afghanistan. We're similarly, we didn't respect the history that didn't ground ourselves in the deep knowledge. We've got to do that with China. You know, we can walk away from Vietnam. We can walk away from Afghanistan. We can't just walk away from China. They're too big, and the the consequences are too great for the United States. You mentioned deterrence, and I just had a conversation with a representative, Mike Gallagher, uh, who's on the Armed Services Committee in the House, and I I think we we really need to understand and and realize that the principal defense that we have is deterrence. And as you said, the best way to avoid World War III is to avoid World War III and not to not get to that point. But deterrence is part of it. They've got to understand that a fight with us would be a losing proposition. That's absolutely correct. By the way, in terms of deterrence and, and looking ahead, I'm always reminded World War II, old-time Navy Admiral Ernest King once was asked, you know, what's the secret of great ship handling? And he said, the secret of great ship handling is never getting in a situation that requires great ship handling. And I think there's something to that. So in that regard, militarily, and you know this quite well, and I've testified in front of you on these subjects when I was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, um, we need to reorient the military for the 21st century. That means artificial intelligence, cyber, both offensive and defensive, unmanned vehicles, space operations, hypersonic cruise missiles. And if this all sounds pretty high tech, it is. And we need to move the dial on the defense spending so that we are preparing for conflict with China, not to go to war with them, but to deter them. And I'm very confident we can do that. And I think the administration is moving in that direction. But this is a great role for the Congress to help accelerate that. Stay with us. We're going to keep talking about the challenge of China. We'll be back in a minute. Hi, this is Angus King. Welcome back to Inside Maine. The subject is China. As you know, one of the gems in Maine is Bath Ironworks. About every six months, we have a christening of a new DDG destroyer, and I always uh, speak there. And I always say essentially the same thing, which is this ship is being built to never be used. The whole purpose of this ship is to provide deterrence and to be not a symbol, but a a real exemplar of of national power uh, in order to provide the kind of deterrence that that you're talking about. And, of course, when you're talking about China, you're talking about naval power largely. Indeed you are. And as someone who is lucky enough to command one of those destroyers, USS Perry, I know firsthand the power and the capability of these vessels. And if we do end up in a war with China, it's going to be centered in the South China Sea. The novel that I wrote, 2034, a novel of the next world war, opens in the South China Sea. And we're going to need uh, all of those bath-built destroyers that we can get. And they are the crown jewels of the U.S. Navy. Well, we certainly feel that way. And and, and the other thing about your book and the the battle is it starts with cyber. 
I don't think there's any question that the next conflict will start with a, a cyber attack to try to blind us or cut off our communications. They're not going to land troops in California. They're going to take out the West Coast grid. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, two points, I think, are, are worth making. One is, as quantum computing comes online, it will signal significant change and it will open the door to true artificial intelligence. I think that's an entire stream of thought and, and real challenge for the United States, because I assure you, China is moving very rapidly on both of those fronts. And then secondly, Senator, and you know this because you're a historian and understand the idea of strategic deterrence, what's the answer to the question, why have we never used a nuclear weapon? The answer is because of deterrence. So I think in cyber, we need to create regimes of deterrence, particularly against Russia and China, but against smaller nations, too, that have capabilities like North Korea, Iran. We need to deter them, to convince them that if they use cyber against us, we will use it against them in even more dramatic fashion. Now it's my turn to agree with you because we've been a cheap date in cyber for the past 20 years. <laughs> we've, we've suffered fairly serious attacks of the Chinese, yep. the Office of Personnel Management, uh, solar winds from the Russians, Colonial Pipeline, you know, North Korea, and yet we've never really made them pay the price. What I want is for someone in the Politburo in Moscow or Beijing to say, hey, boss, I don't think we ought to do this because if we do, the Americans are going to whack us. They're, they're going to get back at us in yep. some way, and it's going to cost us because right now that's one of the things about cyber is it's so cheap. I did a back-of-the-envelope calculation once during a hearing that Putin can hire 8,000 hackers for the cost of one jet fighter. Exactly I mean, right. And this gets back to what we were talking about a moment ago, moving the dial, not getting rid of legacy systems, but taking some of the funding and moving it to these new approaches. And by the way, you can also personalize this. Um, if the inner circle around Putin believes that their piles of uh, bitcoins and cryptocurrencies are going to disappear overnight, uh, they'll be less inclined to murder somebody like Navalny while he sits vulnerable in a Russian prison. We've somehow got to defuse the situation. And, you know, one of the problems, as I understand, we don't have a hotline with China because they won't answer the phone. Yeah. To me, that's an obvious gap where we've got destroyers in the South China Sea. They've got airplanes. We need a, 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 some way to de-escalate a, a, an accident. Your nightmare in your book was a, a deliberate trap. My nightmare is an accident, a hot dog Chinese pilot who tries to buzz a destroyer and takes the coning tower off, and then through miscalculation, it, it escalates. And not being able to communicate directly, I don't understand. What, why would the Chinese be resistant to that? It is a mystery to me as well, uh, particularly for a society that is itself so steeped in history. We spoke a moment ago about World War I. What was the spark that precipitated that? It was an assassination in Sarajevo in Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, of a member of the royal family of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, a single assassin's bullet. And four years later, 20 million people are dead. The Austro-Hungarian Empire is gone. The Ottoman Empire is gone. And the Russian Empire is gone. So big doors swing on very small hinges. And I'll pick up your point about a hot dog pilot. As you know well, Senator, we got him too. These are young men and women flying these jets 
uh, driving these destroyers. When I was captain of a destroyer, I was 36 years old. I was the oldest guy on the ship. These are young people. They're not deeply experienced. They make mistakes. You use the word, the correct one, miscalculation. So on a hotline, amen. Why the Chinese are resisting that is a mystery to me. Well, if I could prescribe one book for every world leader to read, other than yours, of course, it would be Guns of August. Barbara Tuchman's story at the beginning of World War I, which was a war nobody wanted, nobody understood. After it got started, they could figure out how it started. But as you say, 20 million people lost their lives, and it was an absolute catastrophe for virtually all the countries of, of Europe. Well, Admiral, uh, this has been a great conversation. We, we could go on for hours, but uh, I really appreciate your continued engagement and uh, look forward to working with you. I like the idea of having the president or the Congress convene a, a high-level think kind of commission about China to explore mm-hmm. a lot of these issues. I think that would, be, uh, that would be very timely. I know that studies are going on in the Defense Department and the State Department, but maybe we could do something on a, on a different level and bring some coherence to the development of a China strategy. Hey, my hand is in the air to be part of it. And <laughs> by the way, I'd love to come back and have a, a similar conversation with you about cyber, which continues to be a, a focus area for me as well as it is for you. Well, we can certainly do that, and Mike Gallagher is the guy because he was my co-chair on the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, and we're still at it, by the way. We've got eight or ten pieces of legislation kicking around right now in the defense bill and and other bills that are moving here, so uh, our job isn't done. We do have a national cyber director. That's a big deal, but there's plenty of work to be done, and we'll do that on the next installment. My pleasure, and say hi to Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, who directed that study for you. He's one of the brightest people I know and uh, served under my command on several occasions. Well, you just put your finger on my principle of leadership, which is hire good people and take credit for what they do. (laughs) And Mark is certainly one of them. Thanks, Admiral. Talk to you later, man. Right. Bye-bye. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Thanks for being with us this week on an international version of Inside Maine with retired Admiral Jim Stravitas and Congressman Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin talking about the challenge of China. And I look forward to further discussions with people in Maine and people here in Washington on how to meet that challenge. Thanks again, Angus King for Inside Maine.